0: ultimate global podcast hello and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs you're listening to saurabh kora and george mavros from sydney
1: so welcome to another exciting episode of the ultimate global podcast and today's in today's episode we're joined by ryan paul who is the founder of content lift and he's uh, helping marketers uh, map the customer journeys. It's so important for the marketers and also the salespeople to map that customer journeys uh, in order to understand uh, how they can analyze it and improve the different touch points that are there while they're interacting with the customers through different platforms, through social media or while as a salesperson also when you are chatting with them, when you're interacting with them, that is also a touch point uh, during the customer journey. So we'd love to know from you more about a content lift, uh, Ryan, before we dig deeper into mapping out the customer journeys. Yeah, thanks for
0: having me. Um, so yeah, content lift, I'm, I'm, I'm what I would be, I would call what you call a researcher, really. So customer researcher. And what I try to do is figure out why and how people buy. Um, I've been in, I, I focus mostly on B2B mainly, I've, I've done some B2C in my career. And in fact, I sort of started in that 20 years ago when I was um, I was working for a franchise chain of coffee shops and research was sort of and understanding the customer journey was was on fell into my shoulders. And I've sort of just carried that on throughout my career. Uh, and then I had a bit of a segue in my career. I, I took a bit of a detour. I was became a reporter for TV and radio for about three years as an investigative journalist. And it was great. It wasn't my calling. So I went back to the business world and I've sort of used that skill set um, in that sort of customer journey mapping approach. Uh, and for me, it's if you don't understand what customers are doing, how and why they buy, it's going to be really hard to influence you know, how they make decisions about your product or service well before they even know you exist. So that's sort of
1: why I do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, why do you think mapping out customer journeys is so important? Well, it's sort of just what I just said,
0: which is, you know, you have to understand how they make decisions. So let's take B2B or sometimes even complex purchases in B2C, right? House, car, you know, maybe an expensive piece of jewelry. We We don't just wake up and buy something typically. There's a series of events that happen or there is a process or, you know, a progress that we make to come to a final decision. And more and more buyers are spending that time alone. When I started in B2B 20 years ago, that was before the internet was really at the scale it is now and you had to rely on vendors for a lot of information to make your decisions. You didn't have a lot of options to go and research. This everything's flipped now. I as the buyer can do as much research as I need to and all the due diligence on my own. So most buyers now are actually either building their shortlist or their preferred vendor before they even reach out to sales and they're just sort of doing some final due diligence. So if you don't understand what they're doing, what buyers are doing before they get to that point and your job uh, as marketing and is influence that decision-making process, if you don't know what that journey is on average, how are you going to influence it? So and then you're just probably going to spend a lot of wasting a lot of money trying to figure it out if you don't actually understand what it is. That's why I think it's vital because it's it's the only way you're really going to, going to capture mindshare and affinity to market early before they get to you. I hope I explained
1: that okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think uh, customer journeys need to be mapped out properly so that... Um, your, your buyers and you, you, you yourself can understand what you are doing while you are interacting with them through those platforms. Otherwise, if there is no clarity in that, um, yeah. you are not yeah. going to achieve the desired results for your marketing and sales teams. But I would also like to point this to George and understand because George is running his own business in Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. How is he mapping out his customer journeys or how does he see the re- relevance and importance of mapping out the different customers for his business? Well,
2: um, Ryan, I, I train salespeople uh, amongst other things that I do. And one of the things that I say to them is if you don't know who you're selling to and you don't know what you're selling, you have no right to actually sell. Um, the role, the role of, the, of the professional salesperson is to lead the client to the right decision. So if we don't actually know what the right decision is for our customer, what gives us the right to be guiding them towards it? Yeah. What's, what Ryan's pointed out is, is the phenomena that's occurred because of the internet. Um, if you go back pre-internet, the the way that the customer was able to get information was far too hard a slog, and the majority of them didn't do enough homework when they went out. And so they were lambs to slaughter for, for any any incompetent or any dishonest salesperson. Today, the the customer, as, as you rightly point out, can come to the, the negotiation table with as much, even more information uh, because they're not paid. They just do this as a thing at home and it's that important to them. They spend hours and hours. But they also can pick up snippets of misinformation from the internet Mm-hmm. Um, um God forbid that you're a doctor these days because Dr. Google seems to have more importance than my GP that's practiced for 30 years. So so if you don't if you don't understand the customer journey and you don't understand where they should be heading to, you're not you're not armed with sufficient sensible questions to be able to qualify them to make sure that they haven't got the wrong they, quite often, they get the right answer. Unfortunately, they get it to the wrong question. Mm-hmm. What what our role is, and, and by understanding customer journey, you help people get the right answer to the right question to make the right decision. Yep,
1: yeah, that's pretty pretty interesting, George. Um, and one of the things that we would really love to understand from Ryan is how can we map that customer journey? Is there a particular way of mapping the customer journeys that Ryan suggests... To his customers because his customers are the marketeers. So, are you suggesting some particular way of how they can map a customer journey?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's all sorts of ways to do it, right? And there's a lot of literature and philosophies on how you do this. Um, I think maybe in the last ten years, what you've seen, especially in sort of uh, as digital has, has sort of taken it foot people sometimes have thought, well, the website is the customer journey because maybe, you know, the customer journey, even inherently in that name, when you think about it, it's someone that's post sale and that's fine. Like there's an, it's very important to understand what happens post sale onboarding their experience. Are they going to be, um, are they going to be a repeat customer retaining customer? If it's some type of, you know, repeating model. I like to understand everything that's happening from that first thought where they have a problem they want to solve or an issue they want to scratch or what have you right and what are they doing then so there's what you can see and what you can't see what you can see is what your sales team hears and gets feedback on what your website tells you is happening if your customer success team is talking to customers and there's what you can see which we talked about just now that bigger part of the journey and you know there's still um, some ways we can get that through third party reports. You can get that through other associations. You can go online and look at social media and sort of do social listening. My, my preferred method is actually, uh, direct primary customer research, which is what I focus on. And that's either focus groups, surveys, one-on-one interviews, what have you, you know, high touch points with the customer to understand what's happening before they get to sales. Cause that's still part of the journey, right? So, there's a lot of ways you can do it. I think you just need to start with like, what's most important for you to understand at this point in your business, right? What don't you know right now? And if there's big gaps in any of that part of the journey, then you can, you can pick what's most important to understand now. And if it's like the beginning of your business and you're just launching, maybe it's your customer experience, you're onboarding your sales. And then as you get bigger, maybe then it's further down the market, but that's just, you know, there's, there's different ways to do it. And that's just, um, that's just a a snapshot of how you could maybe go about it.
1: Yeah. And is there any particular stage which you consider as most important during a customer journey? So is it the time before you start interacting with the customer or is it the time when you are somewhere in the middle of converting that customer? Um, Or when we have not even interacted with that customer, we have just started marketing our product. That's the most critical step. What would you consider as the most critical step in that customer journey? just speaking for myself, I
0: like to look at it from stages of maturity in the business. So if I've just started, is my product and service actually getting them results they want, right? If I've landed a few customers and and they've hired me for something or bought something from me, are they getting the outcome that they wanted to get from? Because people don't typically buy products or services for the thing they, they want. They buy it for what it will get them to, you know, what is the progress they want to make or what is the expected outcome? So is that the first part? And then if we have that pretty much locked down, maybe we move into sales. How's my sales motion coming? Am I getting, how are my customer discovery calls going? You know, am I giving them everything they need from a sales enablement material? Am I understanding the problems? As George said, am I talking to the right people and have I earned the right to speak to them? You know, what is that motion? If I got that part down, maybe then I want to move to marketing, right? So there's there's all these, I, I don't look at it as like where, where's most important. I always sort of look at it like what's, What's vital right now in the life cycle of the business? Because right? it's always going to be different use cases, right? But you can you can map out different parts and refine any part of the journey you want. You just sort of prioritize where you think you want to have the most impact at that moment.
1: Yeah, um, that's pretty interesting. How would you relate to this thing, George? Um, the, the thing that uh, Ryan has just pointed out with regards to uh, mapping out that journey and putting it into different stages and then identifying the most critical step uh, do you think it relates with what you are doing currently?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, in every sales course, I explain to people that um, without setting about doing it as a um, a structured, organized methodology or approach, um, when you when you often talk to people that are not classed as a salesperson, you say, "I'm going to teach you to be a salesman." or oh, I don't want people to think I'm a salesperson. <laughs> More often than not, don't know what it's like over there, Ryan, but in Australia, more often than not, they don't want to be seen like a used car salesman. Used car salesmen in, in Australia have a very poor reputation.
0: Oh, that's no different now, here.
2: Okay. but And they're very pushy, aren't they? Now, interesting, interesting um, fact. Less than 10% of people go back to the first car yard that they met when they're buying a used car. Less than 15% of people go backwards at all. More than 30% of people will go back to the first car yard when they're buying a new car. So why are used car salesmen so pushy? Because if if it's 9 o'clock in the morning and you've just walked into ryan's car yard and you're about to walk back out he's thinking i ain't gonna see you again all right so so it's these (laughs) the used car salesman um he understands the customer journey um but unfortunately he's gone about it the wrong way as to how they get about it when you go to a new car sales yard they tend to be more consultative they want to explain things to you they want to do this. Because they understand if they can build a relationship with you and you like that guy, quite often the person comes back and says, well, look, um, George, Sarab, Paul, whoever it is, Ryan, um, I'd like to buy my car from you. However, your price isn't good enough. Can you match it? Okay? So, So let's just now try and work out, well, what's George on about compared to what Ryan was talking about? Well, he was talking about marketing and he's talking about sales and he's talking about the customer journey. So if if we present ourselves that we're not like every other used car yard, whether you come to us first or last, we'll still do something for you. They could change their marketing and they could change their selling style and, and then go from there. I actually used to have a used car yard at Parramatta that I used to go to first and quite often I did go back to him because... I knew what he had there and he was a very, very helpful man. Unfortunately, he, he retired, sold it to somebody who I don't like, and I've never been back since. So I went back once and then said, Yeah, that's happened. So <laughs> so that he was but he was there was a there was a place near nearby here, right? And he was very well known. Right. And he was he I used to say to him, You should be in new cars because you 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 don't sell like old sell secondhand. So the other thing is. Your question of what's most important. The greater majority, over 95% of my business now comes from, from either referral or people listening to me talk and then coming to me. I actually, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, I actually don't care what work you've done beforehand. I hope you've done a lot of research because if you've done a lot of research into um, business coaching and all of that, I don't have to educate you on that. I just have to point out to you, where I'm different. So, 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 uh, it, the, the critical thing for people to take away from this is it, this is not about mapping out the customer start. This is not about mapping out the customer end. It's about mapping out the customer journey. And there's a start, a middle, an end, and a whole lot in between. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if Ryan and I were, were your tour guides on your journey. We just didn't know what happens between the sixth, seventh, and eighth spot, but we remember from the 10th and the 11th again.
0: Yeah. So it's all important. If I may, too, um, you know, journeys aren't always the same, too. And I think that's sometimes a a misnomer we make in business. Just say in the car example, someone who buys a BMW is not the same as someone who's going to buy a Kia, right? Or (laughs) a Bentley that's even yep. ratchet up like a Bentley or Ferrari is not the yep. same as someone who's buying a Kia, right? They're still buying automobiles and they need them for specific reasons. They will also buy them for different yep. reasons. And those journeys will be very different. So that's why i I always preach about, you need to go and understand what your customers are doing. It's okay to look at a larger set of a market and understand the broad strokes. But when we start drilling in and at a granular, granular level, that's the difference between you know whether you're going to actually probably have a successful business or not. How specific do you understand their customer journey?
2: And, and taking up on what Ryan's saying, there's a whole heap of people on an aeroplane. Somebody, somebody's travelling first class, and somebody's travelling economy class, and somebody's mm-hmm. travelling business class. And there's three different journeys going on in there. And 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 that's that's a fantastic point for you to raise, right?
1: And even if, uh, you know, when we are doing sales, so we are in software sales, Ryan, um, and I sell a software uh, for HR and L&D specialists in Australia and New Zealand. So mm-hmm. we have to qualify initially. We have to qualify them by asking them a lot of questions. Um, we ask them questions regarding how much budget they might have. Are they using certain tools which kind of set, uh, which which kind of make sure that we are the right fit for them? So we try to identify whether we are the right match for the customer before we end up giving them a demonstration. Because we know that Mm -hmm. if we have to give them a a one hour demonstration, it means that it's going to take a lot of energy of hours. And if it is not the right fit, then we have just wasted one hour, which we could have spent with another customer uh, who was the right fit. So we spend a lot of time in our initial meetings in our initial calls, where we try to identify their budget, where we try to identify with some set of questions to see that if they're the right fit for us. Um, We try to identify um, where they are with respect to their timeline. So are they still comparing different systems? Have they reached out to the end of their uh, sales cycle where they are saying, no, we are going to buy it next month. Um, We are still in the scoping phase. We are still trying to compare the systems Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll purchase it in the next year only. So I think that gives us an idea as a salesperson that when we are going to convert that deal um, and if they're the right fit, then then we see that I think they're the right fit and we can convert them by July next year for sure because mm-hmm. they, they seem to be a good fit, um, but they don't have the budget at this point of time to invest in our system. But I assume that with the discussion that I had, they have the budget, they might have the budget in the next quarter. Uh, So that's how we make our decisions, you know, when we are telling to our sales manager on a weekly basis. But another important thing that I would like to ask you is, uh, we have discussed about mapping out customer journeys. Now, how Mm -hmm. can we analyze that customer journey uh, and improve the different ways we are trying to communicate with the customer? So we have Mm -hmm. done, I've asked you about the different stages now just trying to dig a bit deeper to understand how we analyze and improve that customer journey.
0: Yeah. So again, lots of different ways to do that. And uh, for me, I'll I'll sort of give you what I think is what you see commonly in businesses that sort of is a good foundation, right? NPS score is always a traditional one Net promoter score. Most people are familiar with it. And it's really a sense of how did the business do, would you refer the business? Very simple, uh, very matter of fact. It's always a good gauge sort of at that end of the customer journey or as maybe their continual customer how are they enjoying the service or product that they're using right and that can be done either one-on-one in person it can be a survey you send out um from going working backwards in sales you know now the days we have things like salesforce and hubspot and stuff that did not exist 20 years ago so it's amazing what you can you can do now as a salesperson and when you you know, think key moments are happening for your customers, whether they're existing or whether they're in a buyer, right? Because you can just, you have all the technology you need to be top of mind. And like, as an example, when I was a buyer in B2B 20 years ago, I used to have someone that they'd make their quarterly phone call, right? I don't know if that was, <laughs> George, you know, you write your, your book, record, you make your call to a prospect. And it was great. They're were, they were wonderful. Because they, what they did was they would tell me about, Oh, I went to your operation, saw that that was working really well. So they're showing they understood my business and they're watching what we were doing. They'd send me uh, magazines from trade media or analyst reports via email, which was great because I would use those in my work and they would just come by the office and have a coffee and did not try to sell me anything. Just how are things going? How's the business? Hey, this is happening. I saw this. Now, I was locked into a contract with a supplier for three years. So I couldn't buy from this person, but guess who I picked up the phone and called the second my contract was up, right? I say that because now with Salesforce, I can automate all sorts of those things, right? And I can I can track so much of that. So those are really good ways to understand like what's happening in real time with your buyers. And then from the marketing side, you know, you have all sorts of amazing tools, which there's tens of thousands of them now. I couldn't possibly name them all. Even just Google Analytics is a great way to see who's coming to your website, how many people, how long are they on it, and then when you reach out again, you know there's again things like like I I like to do, which is research around what is the stage of what's happening in the market, you know, you know, and our target buyers, what are trends that are happening? Can I talk to them? Can I talk to analysts? There's all these different things I can do to like understand what's happening going on. My daughter just walked in. Hi, Rory. Yes, I'll be right there in a second. Okay. So there's all these different things you can do to track that journey. And, um, you know, it depends whether it's technically enabled or whether you're just going to do it as a person.
1: Of course, we don't want to take out that. We, I'm not going to edit that part. I'll keep your daughter in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. She's good. She's got a bit of a cold. So she's, you know, she's coming in blown out. Sorry, but continue.
1: Yeah. But that's good. No, that's, um, I would that's be... about us being real. Yeah. I would be passing it to George because uh, Ryan just mentioned about this fact of hey speaking of which say hi everyone say hi everybody hello hi okay. can you go
0: see papa because i'm gonna keep talking to my friends okay thank you all right sorry continue
1: no i was just pointing out this to george uh, that uh, ryan just mentioned about this fact of following up uh, with your customers and being on the top of their mind one of the things that i also follow uh, is to follow up with the customers regularly to understand where we are standing with respect to them purchasing the product. And as Ryan said, that you don't have to always sell the product. You can just interact with them to build a good relationship, to build a good rapport. And at the end of the day, when they have made the decision to sign the code or made the make the purchase, you are on the top of their mind. What do you have to think about that, George? Well, again, um,
2: I'm, I've always
1: always being customer
2: focused. So um, I honestly believe that it's not about me, it's about the customer. And what happens (coughs) is if you continue to look after the customer, eventually they try to find a way of buying something from you. Now, it may be them purchasing from you directly or it may be them referring people to you directly. The number of times over the years that I've had people say to me, I don't need a business coach. I don't need uh, a patents or th- something. I don't need whatever it is that I'm doing at the moment. Uh, however, I'd like to introduce you to this person because you've really you've really done a heap of things for me. Um, I happen to be part of a networking group which is international, which is uh, B&I. I'm not sure whether you're aware of that, Ryan. But that group, its its main core Is its main core philosophy started by the gentleman that started it is giver's gain. And in in sales and marketing, if you continually give, you will eventually gain. Um, Now, the reason I resonate with B&I is because I had that opinion before I even knew about B&I. I I used to call it keep doing favours for people if they don't pay you back, the universe does. So, so with, with regards to the client, if every time I hear from you, it's about your product, it's, it's obvious to me it's all about you. Um, so what I do is I send, out, I send out things that I find or hear, and, and I send them to, to my client. The number of times people say, thank you for that, that uh, information you sent us. By the way, I have a project that I need your help on. So the touch point, it doesn't have to be about me. They just, if they've got something for me, they'll, they'll contact me. When you're selling specifics like you are with your, your software and things like that, um, there's, there's various people that will tell you whether it's uh, five for them and two for you, six for them and one for you. So in other words, you send out a heap of information and so much is about the, their value and so much is for your value. It's got to be relevant. So long as it's relevant, um, and you understand, are you selling or are you marketing? Um, yeah,
0: that's key. Relevant relevance is always key.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, as we are coming to an end to this episode, um, I would love to thank Ryan for being a part of this episode. But one last question, as we have always uh, asked to all the people in this special series of CEOs, founders, and co-founders. I'm sure George will not like to answer that. So that's that's not a question for George. I've already heard that answer from him 10 times. But for you, (laughs) you, Ryan, um, I would like to ask you, how would you rank these three things as a founder? So the three things are idea, strategy, and team. How would you rank them as uh, what's more important for you uh, when you are trying to build a team and then nurture that team over a period of time
0: is so it whats important? yeah is what's it... more
1: important like idea strategy do you mean build the business or build the team yeah building the business
0: yeah for I think it, it depends where you are right so if you're just starting like ideas are good you got to have a good idea that's validated that actually is solving something whatever it is you're helping someone do, that's always a key thing. Um, I think strategy is always next, like, how are you going to take that idea to market, there's a 1000 ways to do it. And maybe you will find a different way to bring something that already exists. I'm not the only one that does customer research, but I, I feel like I have some unique things and competitive advantages. And then it's team because as you scale, that's important, right? So you have to build the business. So I think, again, I hate to say it, it depends, because it's always the worst answer. But I always look at it as like, where are you in the business? So for me right now, um, I'm actually still on the strategy side, because I'm still focusing on where are my pockets uh, of growth going to come from. And then once I can find some processes and some ways forward, that's when a team comes in to help grow that. I hope that answers the question. I feel like I dodged yeah, it a little there's bit. There's
1: no right or wrong answer. The <laughs> answer is correct in its own way, uh, till yeah. the time you have justified it in, in in a in a manner which kind of uh, makes some sense. But I think that definitely made a lot of sense. And we have already added a lot of answers to this pile of question that we have been asking now for around ninth or tenth time. So George is okay. like, I don't want to answer it again and again. You <laughs> <know about> <laughs> But before uh, we end today's podcast, any final comments from you, George?
2: Uh, uh, not final comments at the moment, but I've got my final question for Ryan. Okay. What What's a couple of things that's been the worst part about being the founder and starting the business? And what's a couple of things that's been the best part about being the founder and starting the business?
0: Oh, good so, question.
2: There's all these people out here thinking about becoming a, 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 a creator or a founder of a business. What's yeah. a couple of things you, you you'd say to them?
0: You know, it is it is anxiety inducing at times. Whether you how strong you are, right? I my dad's an entrepreneur. He took a company public when I was young on the New York Stock Exchange. I've grown up around founders. I worked for a startup incubator for a few years. But even so, I felt very confident going in. But you are even when you're in the thick of it, right? And cash flow needs to come in. That's where you really see how s- strong your resolve is, if that makes sense. So that's why, like, you need to have an idea. So, but I also, that part of that's exciting, right? Or can you can you overcome that? Um, and the worst part sometimes is um, you are, they talk about the, the, you are on your own a lot. So you need to build communities of people because it is hard for people who don't run their own business to understand what you're doing, especially spouses sometimes and family members, Except my dad, my dad understands. The best part is it's really exciting once you sort of get traction and you figure it out. And, um, the best part is I get to control my time, which sounds sort of, um, I don't know. Money is not riches and fame are not my, my objective, controlling my time and helping people like just helping businesses succeed. That's always the best part. So that's, those are the,
1: uh, those would be my answers to that question. Very good. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I uh, really appreciate you taking your time uh, this evening. This morning. Yeah, sorry, my
0: co-host is gone now. She's, she's ventured off. So <laughs> she would say goodbye,
1: but I'll say goodbye for her. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and uh, she will be there in the episode. We're not going to edit that part for sure. And <laughs> Good. Uh, I hope to see you again in some other episode. with another Yeah, talk. that'd be great. Always happy to, to come back and talk some more. Thank you for having me.
0: This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.